Hey Bliss Seekers, and welcome to your online home away from home. A place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science, so we dispel the woo-woo of spirituality to help you find authentic health, balance, and bliss. I'm your host, Ari, a specialist registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, embodiment coach, and modern mystic. I've trained with the world's leading experts in psychology, mindfulness, and behavior change. And I am a recovered perfectionist, overachiever, and self-development junkie on a mission to help you stop being your own worst critic, to finally step into your authenticity, and return to wholeness through mind, body, and spirit integration. This is a place where imperfection is celebrated. So grab a cup of cacao, coffee, matcha, or whatever you fancy, and inhale deeply through your nose and out your mouth, and get ready to live in alignment. You're listening to Align with Ari. This episode is brought to you by my embodiment toolkit, your one-stop shop to return home to your body and rebuild trust and connection with your inner wisdom, which is already inherent to you. Embodiment is an ongoing practice. It is something we need to continue to nurture every single day to help us become our most confident, happy, and authentic selves. So at the foundation of healing, if we think about it, we've been given this beautiful, dense matter of a body to work through and feel emotion and to connect with something greater for our soul's journey. So in this toolkit, you can find various resources to meet you where you're at, whether that be breath workshops, yin yoga, yoga nidra, some gentle movement, in the day to reconnect with your body or perhaps maybe more ecstatic movement such as shaking, swaying, dancing. It also includes a daily landing meditation and a workshop on your nervous system getting close and personal with the sensations and a brief introduction to embodiment work. So what we know is when we reconnect with our bodies, we awaken our emotional intelligence and recalibrate our inner compass that knows exactly what we need, how much, and when. This is the foundation to living a healthy, aligned, and blissful life. So if you're into it, head over to my website, www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit, and get your access to the embodiment toolkit so you can return home to your body every single day. Hello, Bliss Seeker, and welcome back to another episode of Align with Ari. In today's episode, I am so pleased to be joined by Dr. Uma Dinsmore Thule, where we dive into the ancient and re-emerging practice of Yoga Nidra. This is actually an ancient practice, a practice that I was first introduced to in my yoga teacher training a little over seven years ago, almost eight years ago now. And ever since its introduction to me, it has been something I continuously return to as it's such a fantastic way to recalibrate our nervous system. 
And so naturally there's a lot more research going into this area now as with many ancient wisdoms you know it's like as humans just like to go back to what we already knew but we have forgotten and you know it has been erased by a lot of our kind of awareness and tucked away and hidden from us so you know dr uma has done the digging for us she has done so much research and worked with some incredible people who are really have access to these ancient texts which is where yoga nidra comes from and so really we are going to explore the origins in today's conversation the neuroscience as well as you know i love to geek out on what's actually happening physiologically in the body and how can we marry that ancient wisdom with that modern science we also talk about the various benefits that yoga nidra can have on various different ailments and or you know situations that we might face in our day-to-day and how and when to practice so we also then move into exploring one of my favorite topics as well which is the balance between masculine and feminine energetics and so yoga nidra is actually a very feminine practice which helps restore the balance as we tend to live in a society that is hyper masculine and this does not mean when i refer to feminine and masculine energetics I am by no means referring to genders it is really something that is within us all and all of nature also holds however sometimes we do have dysregulations irrespective and independent from our gender so now more than ever where we're actually living in a time which is what we call hyper-masculine is very structured very rigid very systematic you know we prioritize work days that are nine to five you know we have a lot of structure we are valued based on productivity and what we are producing versus a more feminine way or you know in terms of energetic standpoint which is more with the flow, more intuitive, more creative. And so now more than ever is a really important time to prioritize rest. And in today's episode, we talk about why. Now to tell you a little bit more about Uma herself. So she met yoga in 1969 at the very ripe young age of four. And she fell in love. So she's been practicing ever since and teaching yoga since 1994. She is a yoga therapist with a special expertise in yoga therapy for women's health. Uma is also a mother of three and has written four books on yoga for women, including The Massive Yoni Shakti, and two books on Yoga Nidra, including Nidra Shakti, an illustrated encyclopedia of Yoga Nidra, and the book that you know I had the pleasure of reading, which we explore today as well, is Yoga Nidra Made Easy. She's also the co-founder of the Yoga Nidra Network and has developed Total Yoga Nidra, Wild Nidra, Nidra Shakti, oh, say that three times fast, radical, creative, and intuitive approaches to sharing Yoga Nidra. So of course, this episode highlights what Yoga Nidra is, the origins of the practice, trance states, brain waves, and the neuroscience, what to expect in your practice, restoring the balance between feminine and masculine energetics, and the importance of rest. Now, something I wanted to preface this conversation with is, you know, there is a lot more research going into this space. 
So how it's being referred to, Yoga Nidra is also known as non-sleep deep rest, NSDR, as a practice of laying down for about 10 to 60 minutes where a script is used to take you through a progressive body scan. So that is also how it is being described. So if you, you know want to do a little digging yourself, looking up non-sleep deep rest is actually the scientific terminology that is now being utilized to share yoga nidra. Now in today's conversation, we're of course going to really bring it back to the origin practice and the origin wisdom as it's so, so important to, you know, respect and honor where this is actually coming from and you know neuroimaging data is showing that a practice of you know yoga nidra about 10 to 30 minutes per day does help restore dopamine in the basal ganglia which is in the brain and this actually helps to support focus and attention so this can also be a really great practice a if you're sleep deprived as we will be talking about which is far too common in today's society equally if you're having a hard time falling asleep and then thirdly of course if you are struggling to to stay focused this could be a really great thing to insert and practice to insert in the day between meetings or you know just take take a little break and pop in a little dose of self-care and pleasure as I love to say so enough for me let's dive into this conversation with Dr. Uma And without further ado, I will see you on the other side. Uma, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you and be in your presence. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm honored to be invited. Thank you, Ari, for inviting me on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Yes, thank you. Amazing. And it's so great. I know you're you're in the UK, which is, you know, very special place to me. That's where I kind of usually live, but I'm currently in New York, so it's great to just be connected this way. <laughs> well, loving rainy greetings to you. Oh, England great. Is I'll take it. <laughs> it moment, is. It hasn't stopped raining for weeks. They say spring, you know, spring, it's all about bringing the green. So there you go. (laughs) Well, great to have you. I know we're going to dive into some really juicy topics and in particular, one of my favorite practices, which is yoga nidra. And, you know, you've written an incredible handbook. I know it's a short little handbook, but so much goodness in there that everyone needs to know more about it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I know there's a lot of research going into this area more recently. So there's Mm -hmm. a more Western lens that's being taken naturally, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I think there are benefits to that so more of the world can have access to it. But I I do appreciate the, you know, you sharing the history and where it comes from, the origins, as well as then moving into the many ways it can be used versus merely for focus, (laughs) which is, you know, it's like, how can we be more productive, which is how it's often being researched. But I wonder if you can tell us, you know, as before we dive in, what is yoga nidra, you know, and just to preface the conversation, what is this practice that I often, you know, preach about? (laughs) Well, literally, what yoga nidra means is yogic sleep, because nidra, and it is nidra, nidra is the Sanskrit word for sleep or rest. So, it literally means the yoga which is sleep, which if you really look into what that could mean in reality, it means usually a yoga practice that doesn't involve any movement because all the journeys are happening in the states of consciousness. It's really particularly often presented as a practice, but it is in fact a state of consciousness. And I would define it as a one of the liminal states, i.e. like an in-between state. 
like a bardo, they'd say in Tibetan, you know, where you're like between things. So it's not being awake, but it's being conscious enough to know that you're possibly parts of you are asleep. Yeah. It's usually done horizontally and you're lying down that you can do it sat up. So that's a kind of, it's both a state of consciousness and a series of techniques and practices that bring us into that state of consciousness. I believe it's a very powerful adaptogenic state of consciousness. It meets you where you are. It's also effortless. I mean, the only effort it requires is actually to stop and be, because I think it naturally arises. And we can cultivate that naturally arising state of yoganidra. And it's mm. everybody's treasure. It doesn't actually belong. Nobody invented it. It just arises. And mm. I've got lots more to say about that. But that's the short story. I hope that, that's what you're looking for. A really great nugget. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There is a big effort in making the space and time to actually access this treasure that we yes. all you know, have that capacity to. Before we dive into that powerful liminal state that you speak of and something that we all you know, can access. Can you tell mm. me a bit more about how you found it? Because I, you know, I know a bit about yes. your journey starting very young and I mm. just find it so special. So unique. <laughs> so how did you come across this experience, this space? Mm. Well, you know, I defined it as like, it's a state of consciousness, but it's also a practice. Well, the I, I encountered that state of consciousness really as a child. I actually think a lot of people do. I was very fortunate in that my mom was practicing yoga off the telly, you know, off the TV, Thames TV, <laughs> yeah. when I was about four years old. This is like 1969 or something. I'm very old. So Love I that. got to practice yoga with her, and we had the little book of the TV series. and all. The, so I was doing practices that kind of – so I encountered meditative states – but I was interested in them because they seemed to arise quite naturally. I spent a lot of time like up trees and in dream states. And I had a lot of lucid dream experiences and, and meditation experiences as a child. And I was kind of encouraged, not encouraged, but nobody seemed to notice or mind. So I sort of hung out there a lot. And it was very creative. For me as a child, it was very creative. I would like write poetry and plays and stories and make up people. And so I did a lot of that. And I didn't quite forget about it because you don't forget those things. But it wasn't until I actually met it as a formal practice in a, a yoga school that, that teaches this form that I sort of went, oh, my God, you know, I recognize this. Oh, and it was like, here. oh, that's yeah. the key. You know, like Alice in Alice in Wonder, she has a little key yes. to get back in. You know, I had the key and I was like, oh, so I can return to those states of being as a child. There's very creative, restful, productive kind of in-between states. And I had a way to get back to them because the Nidra practice I learned gave me that. Wow. But I don't think it had ever gone away. And I actually often find people, if you give them the space, if you give humans the space and time to rest and to be in that state, they will remember Mm, we will deep remember. soul remembering right? yes, I, remember and, I, and, they, and they often remember things from childhood or from places that were very you know really profound experiences that they had in, in in life when they effortlessly entered these states and that when they do the nidra you know or if you'd encountered something a lot of you know i can talk more about the history later but like all around the world are indigenous practices of trance yeah. that really respect this place. And so I've met people who've encountered those practices, either with, you know, song and chant or plant medicines or particular rituals or whatever it is. From what, And they'll go, oh, yoga nidra 
is like a door back to that. So it's about, a re- so it's often a remembrance. And for me, it was like that. Like I remembered the state I'd encountered as a child because the formal techniques and practices gave me access to that as an adult. That's incredible. And it's so amazing Mm. to know that there's a formal way because I think as adults, we have all the layers of conditioning and all of this that we have to work with and and sort through and kind of weed out to then get to that, 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 that deeper healing place. Whereas I think children, and I often, you know, I'm studying this and, and studying, you know, shamanism and, you know, I can't wait to hear more about these indigenous, you know, origins, but it's this sense of children are so sacred and we can learn so much from them because they are so connected to source. And then it's only over time that we get so conditioned that it becomes so hard to go back to this, this, this really sacred space. Yeah. So I wonder if you can tell us a bit about the origins now in terms of, okay, so you, you found this really, really a, a young place you then found a way, a formal way of doing this. And I imagine you couldn't stop. You're like, I want more of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, I became a bit of a yoga nidra geek. <laughs> Love that. I married my husband, like partly, not just because of his yoga nidra, but that's like <laughs> five years ago. And he's that was also very attractive. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Yoga nidra geek. So we've been practicing yoga and we run, we set up the yoga nidra network because we, that's the thing that we love doing. But when I started to investigate the histories, because I've got a, like you know a background in sort of academic training, and my PhD was all in like looking at you know literature, media, humanities stuff. So I can do history and studying texts and stuff. So I would ask people in the Nidra schools that I was at, I said, "So where's this from?" And they just go, "Oh, it's very ancient." They'd say, and they'd never give you the references. And I'd say, "Well, because they weren't interested." Because if Guruji said that, it must be the case. And I was like, "Yeah, I know they say that, but like I want to see the text." So what I started to do was to seek out any initially like Sanskrit texts that mentioned Yoga Nidra, right? Now, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, but there are people who are, right? And they worked with me and helped me. And what I discovered is that when we look at Yoga Nidra, it's, this, it's a South Asian treasure, basically. It's, it, Nidra Shakti is a goddess. She's a very powerful manifestation of the goddess Kali. That's Kali up there, the big triangle. I actually have it right here. I have it right here. So she is, so a manifestation of Kali is Nidra Shakti. So the earliest references I could find that were written down are in the Devi Mahatmya, which it means the victory of the great goddess. And it's a 700 verses. Some people call it the Sapta Shakti, which is the 700 verses. And it's, I mean, when we say it's ancient, like yeah, people say, oh, it was written down in the sixth century or something, but it has chanted for a long time before it comes out of the Makandeya Purana. So the Puranas are very ancient, sacred repositories of these powerful teachings of India. And they're like, and when you really go back into them, this is pre-Vedic. This is like ketonic. It comes out of the earth. So one of the key goddess, so she appears in the first chapter of the Devi Mahatmya, because what she does, her power is to send Vishnu to sleep. Mm. So he, he's a bit of a napper, Vishnu. He's the sustainer of the universe. But his energy, if you look at it energetically, is the sustaining energy. And the, the powerful teaching, which isn't just in the Devi Mahatmya, it's also in the Mahabharata. So it's the group, that's the longest epic poem in the world, and it's the most ancient sacred text in, in yeah. India, the, the, in, in Sanskrit. And so what you find is that Yoga Nidra is a kind of way of conveying the power of the creative void. So what happens is that when 
we come to an end of a, a yuga or an era, Vishnu is asleep, the whole world is flooded and he goes to sleep on this snake because Nidra Shakti's power is in him. And that's what it means. Nidra Shakti is the power of sleep. And Yoga Nidra Shakti is the goddess who wields this power of sleep. And then I started to ask my friends who knew, I was like, can you help me out here? Because like, if she appears in the Devi Mahatmya and Yoga Nidra is described in the Mahabharata, is it anywhere else? And what we found was there's two really good sources and you can get them on our Nidra network. One is a source that Jason Birch put together. He was at the School of Oriental and African Studies and he literally tracked the mention of Yoga Nidra in Sanskrit through all the texts you could find. He did a proper scholarly job and he showed that the origins of Yoga Nidra are in some of the yogic kind of, we call them like the guidebooks, the Shiva Samhita, the Garanda Samhita, and in the Amanaska. So these kind of like they're I'd say medieval, some of Hatha Yoga Pradipika, like around 1450 or something, they mention Yoga Nidra. Mm. They don't tell you 10 steps how to do it. Right. They talk about it as a state of consciousness. Mm. So it's in those kinds of things from like around the 14 to oh, the 1700s. So yes. But it's also in other Puranas and more interestingly to me than in those written books, which are well studied, also in a lot of popular retellings of things like the Ramayana, which is the story, the exploits of Ram, the journeys of Ram. And Yoga Nidra shows up in, not in the written version, but in the kind of folk versions, in the popular retellings, because she sends one of the princesses to sleep. Wow. And then there's loads of other stories, but basically Mm -hmm. she's kind of kick-ass. She's really powerful and there are an extraordinary number of stories. So I put six of these adventures in my big encyclopedia because I just wanted everyone to know that she was a very powerful force. Yes. So when we look at the origins in South Asia, you, you really have to see that it's honoring this goddess. Mm. So lovely to hear about those origins. And it sounds so powerful and not yet talked about. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like Lakshmi or the goddess, you know, as you mentioned, Kali, that we hear of perhaps more yeah. more often. This is this is something that's almost like a little held treasure, which you you mentioned we all have it inside, but it's it's definitely kept and we have to dig for it. <laughs> it sounds like you did all the digging, so thank you. <laughs> Most contemporary schools that will tell you that they're yeah. teaching Yoga Nidra, they don't even say her name. They don't mention that. That's exactly it. Partly because nobody really knows. And partly because nobody really cares because they're quite keen on trademarking and commodifying a practice, whereas basically mm. this is a state of consciousness and there is an agency yes. and it, it, of the goddess. Yes. And part of one of the ways of practicing Yoga Nidra is to see that in honoring that goddess, you honor the powers of life. So there's a massive mm. hymn, very famous, very sacred hymn in the fifth chapter of the Devi Mahatmya where they list all these different qualities of life and that prana shakti shows up in the power of life and all the gods sing to her and they honor her in the form of beauty and and hunger and thirst and you know there's a list the second thing on the list is we honor the power of life in the form of sleep it says it means in the form of sleep we honor and yet we're so far away from that as a society globally, oh, isn't that? It's, it's, it's basically it's, how do you even know you're alive if you don't get tired? That's her. Yes. So I say when you lie down to do a, a nap, you're honoring the goddess. And that's not just me. That's in the Vignana Bhairava Chantra. Yes. It's in the, in the Devi Mahatmya. There's, so I'm very keen 
to reinstate the or, the true yes, origins. I can feel your passion, and I love that mm-hmm. the indigenous mm-hmm. origins of this practice mm-hmm. because it is not a commod. It has been commodified, so it's a. Cla- I could get off on that one, but, but I won't. That- <laughs> example. Yes, I hear you for a sure. Colonized and commodified. Yeah entity that's been ripped from its roots and that's sold it. to people without any respect or understanding for its original roots uh, as many, still as doing many. Good, but like yeah. some of us who know we have to speak out <laughs> absolutely and i respect that and i value that so much and that's exactly why i wanted you to come on i there's no one else that i could have asked you know have invited and you know, I, speaking from my experience, becoming a yoga teacher myself, I have to, you know, I have my hand raised. I was never taught this. I was never taught about the origins. And so through your book is how I really learned about the depth. Because actually, truth be told, out of my whole yoga teacher training, that was one of the practices that stuck with me the most. Of course, I, I do the asanas naturally of, you know, the Raja yoga. This is something that I just took with me and it's something that is a regular practice for me and so I would love for us to talk a bit about that state of consciousness Mm -hmm. and a little bit more about how you know what are the benefits why do we need to access that so of course there's so much power in sleep and and that's how you know you are in fact you know alive but but if you can speak more to that in terms of what why why is this important I think it depends who you are as to what seems important about it Mm -hmm. So for some people, accessing that state of awareness that's, some people would say it's Turiya, the fourth state, neither sleeping nor waking, Mm -hmm. nor in deep deep sleep without any dreams, but it's a fourth state. So some people would equate yoga nidra with that. So for some people, it's important because it's a meditative practice. You consciously practice to be in that state. Now for other people, it's really important because they haven't slept in freaking years because they're exhausted and they've forgotten how to downregulate their nervous system. And so it's actually really useful for people who've got insomnia. And I have colleagues who say, no, 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 it's just a meditative practice. It's so high and powerful that it's not right to say you can use it to go to sleep. But I'd say like, it depends where you are as to what's important to you. So if you haven't slept in a long time, you're not gonna be that interested in meditative states of consciousness. But maybe practicing. So we've created all sorts of nidras to help insomniacs, help people go to sleep, help people who can't go to sleep, help people who wake up in the middle of the night and want to go back to sleep, all of that stuff. So that's also important. And it's a terribly useful access for creative inspiration because all the poetry and the songs and the beauty and the scientific inventions and the discoveries all come out of that place where you put the conscious mind down, yeah, give it a rest, and you actually allow the great wisdom, which is a collective wisdom, which is actually the wisdom of the earth, life itself, to manifest itself in the way it needs to. So it's also hugely, I use it as a creative inspiration, problem solving, and it's it's healing. Mm -hmm. So you can use it in childbirth, you can use it for healing. Before I do a lot of work with people before they have surgery, we do nidras, especially for that surgery, you can do nidras after surgery if you've been injured, if you're unwell, we've got a whole set of freaking COVID recovery nidras that are brilliant. Wow, you yes. You can't do anything. You just lie there and listen to yoga nidra. Yeah. So, yes, it's healing for physical injuries. Also for, you know, certain aspects of mental health difficulties. A lot of our neurodivergent tribe, you know, and I put my hand up. person <laughs> with, you know, hyperactivity and total hyperfocus and distractibility over all of that. Nidra is brilliant for the neurodivergent tribe because we're constantly managing quite a lot of stuff going on, including managing what seems like (laughs) 
completely, you know, bewildering way of living in the world. So, so it's really helpful for managing mental health issues, physical health issues, injuries, healing, parenting, all the, you name it. About everything. But fundamentally, why is it able to do all those things? It's an adaptogenic state. It will meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a sign that it is an immensely profound meditative experience. It is. No, no drugs, no substances needed, right? Like reishi, yeah. all those mushrooms, put them aside. You can just access the state <laughs> and it well, will work. And, mm-hmm. and actually, I think it's very profound to say mm. that a very a really like it's an access to a very deep meditative state and you can do it lying down and people yeah. often say oh you can't meditate lying down Uma you're and I'm like well oh, how, how much have you practiced I love it you, mm-hmm. if you actually practice you can hover in that state and mm-hmm. you know if you need to maybe you'll go to sleep and that's fine you know it's all good whatever happens is part yeah. of the practice and that's <laughs> yes and that actually brings me to a question because something out of my own experience that I often find is that I I you know yes there's a moment where I get into this trance mm. but then I fully shut off and I almost I wake up and I and naturally of course you are in that state because you're able to hear the recording and then come back out so you definitely know you're with it yes. however there is a sense of amnesia and I'm like what what happened <laughs> is that Right. And so I'm curious about that, that experience. What, what happens then? Well, I can give you kind of two explanations. One is to say, you see this goddess here. This is Dhamavati. Okay. She's one of the 10 wisdom goddesses. Her wisdom is the wisdom of forgetting, of amnesia. Mm, well, I'm connected to her all the time. <laughs> she, she's very old, you know, and her wisdom is in Yoga Nidra. So some people say, oh, well, that's the energy of this great grandmother goddess, Dhamavati, who helps you forget what you need to forget. But you, it's also a classic experience of any kind of trance, which is this sense that you, you actually, I train a lot of people to be yoga nidra facilitators. And one thing that happens is what you've said. They'll wake up and they go, God, how could I even give you feedback on that? We give people feedback. I can't even remember anything. Exactly. And then what happens is in the collective. So we just got back from Catalonia. So we were doing Nidra in like mm. seven different languages, three in dialects of Catalan, Spanish, wow. Polish, Dutch, English, American English, all there. And people were saying, well, I, I don't remember anything. I had that amnesia thing. Then someone will start to talk about it and say, I like the bit where the stars were falling from the sky. And then the person who said they'd forgotten everything will go, oh my God, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> so yeah. I see as a reality that in that dream web, the really wise part of you hasn't forgotten any of it. It's mm-hmm. only this bit up here, the guy who thinks he's in charge, you know, the CEO, yeah, one who cortex. thinks they're running the company. They think they're in charge. So your conscious brain goes, oh, I don't remember anything. And then the real wisdom, your intuitive wisdom, will actually have recorded almost all of it. I've listened to Nidra's sometimes over 15 years, like back in the day when they were on cassette tapes, when you'd wear them out. Yeah, yeah. It was a Danish one I used to listen to all the time, Danish accented. And I was like, I don't remember any of this. And then I'd listen to it again and it would all drop in. So it's a very mm. interesting aspect of learning to navigate trance state and also different brainwave states. Yes. So you right. often dip into a, like a real delta state where like you kind of like there's no words, there aren't any images, you think you can't hear anything, you can't remember anything. But you're often in Nidra, you might be a little bit conscious of that, sufficiently conscious that actually somewhere, some part of you is remembering it. 
Yeah. So you remember what you need and you take what you need. You're always taking what you need is what my understanding is. Even if there's no cognitive recollection of that, it will be there. Right. Can you touch on, so you just touched a bit on the the brain and what's actually happening in the brain there on the brain waves Mm -hmm. and how do we typically live? And then where does that, where does Nidra take us? Right. So in terms of, I feel like the neuroscience behind Nidra is also so fascinating to me. So, well, it, it's, it depends what kind of life you lead, but I would say most folk are operating in beta waves, right? Which could be anything from like, we're ready to solve problems. Let's get a meeting together, right? To total anxiety and absolute like, you know, like o- overwhelm. It's a quite a big spectrum, beta waves. So that's when you're conscious and awake and right. alert and that's kind of how the machinery of corporate capitalism wants you to be, kind of eight hours a day, which is completely inhuman. So, of course, it doesn't work. But what most people will find is literally the moment you close your eyes, you'll start to drop into alpha state, which is a bit more like a reverie. And you can do it with your eyes open. But for most people, if they close their eyes for a minute, they'll just drop into that alpha state. And then in Nidra, you might start at beta, like that kind of awake alert state, and you might, hopefully the overwhelm goes away and you drop into alpha, but it's not really a linear journey because it's more like this. You kind of spiral around. And in fact, yeah. that's what we did in the book. I made a kind of little labyrinth, yes. didn't I? You and did. that labyrinth helps you understand that you sort of, you know when you go around a labyrinth and you think you've gone far deep in, but actually you're, you're just on the way out. It's yes. like it's like yes. that can't find the little diagram but it's like a, a, a classic uh-huh. labyrinth mm-hmm. and what happens in nidra is that you actually don't just get alpha and beta stage you'll probably encounter all the different brainwave states including delta which is deep rest and repair and you spend probably a lot of time in theta state which is that sort of like when you can see the eyes moving that's the state the brainwave where you'd have dreams but it's also you'll get this like place in between being awake and asleep in between being asleep and awake. So hypnagogia and hypnopompia. And the amazing thing about, and you might get gamma waves as well. You might get little flashes of insight that the kind of stuff that they've measured in people who do a lot of meditation. Right. So, so that's when you get you a little, that, uh, an idea or like creativity yeah, comes from. Like, uh-huh. okay. you, and you get a lot, and then you also get this sort of awake alpha state where you've got lots of different things happening all at once, which is they're the liminal spaces. They're in between. Yeah. So the thing about yoga nidra is that it feels amazingly like you've had like a full night's sleep. You haven't, and it's not enough. It's not a sleep replacement. But it does. The reason it feels like that is because you'd have cycled through pretty much all the same brainwave states that you would get in a full night's sleep, but you don't spend enough time in the delta waves or to, to actually fully repair, and you don't spend enough time in the theta to actually do all the big... You, you, well, there's some people yeah. do dream in nidra. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of ways of looking at it, but fundamentally you're getting lots of different experiences of all the different states of kind of electrical activity in the brain in all the different places. And that is why yeah. it feels so incredibly restful and like there's a multiplicity of things that can happen, like mm. the healing, like the creativity, like the meditation, like the deep rest, like, and you can get all of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the practices when we train people, that we train people to deliver 15 and 20 minute practices. Yeah, right. You don't need to do great long ones. I was uh, going to say, well, how, how long do you typically, what would be like a, a a daily recommendation? If it was daily and or? I often say, it, I say it all depends quite a lot. Or weekly. Because like, we even. run a yoga camp where you do yoga yes. five times a day. 
right? Oh and in gosh, most of those are only 15 minutes or half an hour. But I'd say bring the practice <laughs> into your life, a really easy way to do it is to do it first thing in the morning and last thing at night. So yeah. when you wake up in the morning, you're often, you can do like a 15, 20 minute, like you would a meditation, but you do it lying down. And then you can do another, maybe slightly longer one as you go to sleep in the night. But I know people, sometimes I make a nidra practice with someone and I say to them, when I've got my yoga therapist hat on, I say, how long have you got for this? And they'll say, well, you know, I could probably squeeze in 15 minutes, you know, before I pick the kids up from school. I say, okay, well, we'll make a 15 minute one or a 13 minute nidra. And if you practice regularly, those short practices are really effective because you already, it's like you're topping it up. You can settle very quickly. You can drop into it it. really quickly. Yeah, I do. I do 10 minute ones sometimes between client sessions. Yes. So where if if I feel dysregulated and that's exactly it, that's when I know it's time to do that is if my nervous system starts being a bit dysregulated, I can either do a meditation, but my personal favorite is just lying on the bed propping my myself, my knees, and just boom, go. That's um, so wise mm-hmm. because you can, and that's what we did in the little Nidra book. I made like a nine-minute Nidra yes. and a 12-minute Nidra. And I know people who are very kind of, you know, they've got very traditional ideas and it has to be 45 minutes and it has to be. I never use a script. I don't think that's helpful because if you're actually working for creating Nidras for people, it needs to be not something that somebody wrote. Tailored, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those little short Nidras can be really helpful, and that means someone's more likely to use it than if they go, I haven't got time for 45 minutes. Right. And then, obviously, it's you can do all sorts of different lengths of Nidra. Yeah. It's really lovely to do something of half an hour, 45 minutes, but on a daily basis most people yeah. find like the 20 minute short and sweet it's like a little and sometimes it's just to frame it as like a little power nap naturally it's like but more depth right you're like yeah, i don't like that don't really... call it that it's way more than that yeah, the thing is, she's so big you know this yeah this yoga nidra state that like it's related to lots of things people have so got these different terms non-sleep deep rest and power well, that's it. and all this sort of thing and actually yes but that all comes out of yoga nidra like yes, exactly. those experiences are there yeah. in these states of consciousness that have been so beautifully described for so long and that are very ancient and everybody's birthright. They're all over the world, these, these processes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about the, you know, what is the process? What is the experience okay. in terms of where do you start, you know, and where can you expect to get to? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I like to think that there's no expectations. No expectations, right? It's fine, and you don't really get anywhere. You just yeah. be. Yes, but yes, the yes. basic most, and I've compared all these different schools. There's about five or six different main schools that people have kind of set up, and most of them all start with a, a preparatory period, like you actually faffing around and getting ready. That, and then there's a settling process where you're actually really noticing what it's like maybe to stop being vertical and to become horizontal and after and that those two preparatory and settling ones lead into a place where sometimes people will set an intention for the practice but that's not always necessary just to be there is enough Mm -hmm. and then there's usually with most schools a way of bringing conscious awareness around the body and that's part of the most ancient aspects of yoga nidra there's a there's a practice called nyasa which means placement or surrender. So you usually bring awareness, you know, to the different features, to different body parts. It can be done in lots of different ways, lots of different itineraries. It doesn't always have to be the same. Once you've done that, there's usually some kind of invitation of being 
so the whole body is kind of welcomed in often people zone out at that point but if they're still there they'll probably hear some invitation to hold it's like holding the tension of a pair of opposites in Jungian depth psychology they call it enantiodromia it's like which is a a posh western word for the play of this incredible paradox and bringing opposites together it's like a dance Mm. of opposites so sometimes things like heavy and light or inside and outside or even awake and asleep and you kind of rest with that and that's the magic place i'd say that when i look at the structure of nidra that's at the heart of it right often the thing people don't remember and in yes, that magic that that creative void is entered in the place between those opposites. And from there, sometimes people do visualizations, but you can just be there. And then usually you come out, you might use breath awareness. Sometimes that comes earlier. And the, the way you come out, it's very reliable. It's like nobody gets left floating around on their astral body. It's not like that. It's very practical. So on the way out, you start externalizing the senses, and then you, you have to make sure you finish it. It's really important you tell people it's over because you could quite happily drift off being in that state. And that's really fine if you live in some ashram. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Like yes. on the subway or drive a car or collect people exactly. at school or something that actually, you know. So that, and that, so most schools have like a 10 step version of something like that. Okay. And they usually, the difference between that and just like a standard relaxation practice is that that's quite a lot of different things, isn't it? It is. And they're usually in that sort of order and people will argue about how you do them and who's got the right method and all that sort of thing. But it's not actually It's not a perfect recipe. We're not going for perfection. Like you said, it's your birthright. It's how can you get to that state and 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 I always, I mean, that's what we used in Yoga Nidra Made Easy, but they were ingredients, Yes, I so absolutely like, love that. You mm-hmm. might, if you know how to make risotto or minestrone mm-hmm. or something, these are like basic recipes, and the ingredients will depend on what's seasonal and how much mm. of it you make depends on how much time you've got. So I think that's quite a helpful way to look at it. That there are some standard ingredients, and then everybody has their own special little mix, little touch, little little yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And what's interesting is the mention of the opposites and bringing and being able to find both because I find that that really from the kind of psychological point of view as well, naturally, you you mentioned that being the core and the heart. Mm. It's almost being able to acknowledge that two things can coexist all at the same time. Whereas I think our minds and the kind of prefrontal cortex, that part of us that's constantly trying to overthink things in a way, might see the world as black and white but it's actually or you know yes or no and we love that idea of certainty whereas I feel like from what it sounds like this is such a healing place to be where actually you can start understanding huh they can both be and actually it's all gray in the middle and so that you know I usually fall asleep at that point but I'm hoping I take that away (laughs) that is one of the really huge powers of this practice is that it to be in that place and to be in a space of uncertainty actually requires a deep cultivation of intuitive awareness. Like in yoga, we have five bodies, the five koshas, and the fourth one, after the physical and the energetic and the mental and emotional, is this fourth body, which is intuitive awareness. It's like a very refined kind of intelligence that's not this intelligence. It's like a full felt way of being and that's very reconnective. So yoga nidra will restore rhythmic cycles. So I work a lot with like, you know, menstrual dysfunction and people's troubles with infertility and all of this sort of things. A lot of those issues 
are around cyclical reset. And people get out of rhythm. And Yoga Nidra resets the sleep patterns and it resets creative cycles. So it works really well with anything that's cyclical and that which is most aspects of being human. <laughs> and that when you get in that place with the pairs of orbits, you just have to be, you know, invited to be. And that that invites you into a place that's the really profound limitless uncertainty of where your only guidance really is the guidance of your heart and so the nidra state is said to reside in the space of the heart the state of yoga nidra is is in this place where you simply and that's the seat of intuition although obviously it could be felt in your gut and in the pelvis and wherever but i think there's a very beautiful way that the body is welcomed in in yoga nidra it's like the tool to access what it feels like to be there is to notice what happens to the body as you rest and the body is so wise that no matter how tired and wired it is if you just keep giving those opportunities eventually that wisdom will arise and i have lost count of the i mean it must be at this point thousands of people yeah. who actually find that yes they can actually connect with that intuitive yeah. being and it often points out well, I have <laughs> how tired they were yeah yeah exactly and absolutely i think that that is big part of the practice is being able to find that stillness as well mm. and when you find that stillness you have that you're more likely and attuned to then connect to whatever that might be for you and I guess, Uma, I have a question because I know I've worked with, with in particular, I, I you work with people with living with eating disorders and or disordered eating who are very disconnected from their body. Yeah. And it might not feel like a safe place to be and reside in. And so I'm wondering, you know, in that case, this can be such a healing practice. But I also know that the body, you know, as you mentioned, the kind of state of awareness at the beginning, I guess you can call it like almost like a little body scan before that leads you into this trance state. How would you then facilitate that or how would you guide someone who is looking to connect with their body but it's a really scary thing to do yeah this is a really important question because whether it's because a person's had a whole history of eating disorders or other kinds of traumatic experience right mm -hmm. then we need to be really informed about that and that's kind of like a bit of a buzzword that you have to do some trauma-informed training and they're all good but the fundamental way that you can share nidra as invitation, as agency of the person who's delivering it. So that is really, it, it's very important to be aware of what can happen mm -hmm. if somebody's found their body to be a really unsafe and frightening place, as you've described, and you're inviting a reconnection to that. It can be really absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. So some people find it's much easier to access some of the nidra states or the practices, perhaps when they're sitting up maybe with their eyes open. I do a lot of, you can see all the bolsters and things. I often, mm. if somebody's experience anxiety or that kind of like disconnection from the body that's very fearful, I'll often create a safe nest for them and they'll learn their side. So you can access how the body feels. You can literally talk to the nervous system physically by changing the basic position of the nidra, given the option i always say stuff like i keep my eyes open but you can open your eyes anytime you want to sit up and you make it very it's like permissive language where people can choose how they respond to it and sometimes to keep it very short yeah yeah because a taste yeah yeah there's so a little drip, taste of what that eating. might be and they'll feel mm -hmm. how it is because yeah and those changed positions make a huge difference so sideline with lots of props and so you'll get a bit more flexion in the body and the body is how bolsters along the back so people feel really comforted 
before they start doing the nidra stuff and so you have to introduce it a little bit at a time because in those particular cases things are really can be really troubling and to be honest when you look at what's arisen in the last few years i'd say most of the human species has experienced yeah. various forms of trauma because yeah. everything was so terrifying for so many people for so long and then loads of insane and peculiar things happened that nobody could really understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they would everyone was very scared so yeah. and that went on for a long time so mm-hmm. i actually mm-hmm. think that nidra during these experiences of the last few years what with all of the lockdowns yeah. and things became a, a, like a lifesaver during when that was the the useful public service we provided in England is when they announced the first lockdown which was very fierce in England mm. we provided Nidra every single afternoon for like over almost over a hundred and something days we just kept going because people would show up and they would use a very simple Nidra 15 minutes just to sort of settle and let these nervous systems kind of just mm. down regulate so powerful so So it's like it was kind of emergency nidra for scared people yeah Um, yeah well that's it it's the nervous all about that nervous system ultimately it's really such a good aid and And in terms of digestive disturbances and and eating disorders and things what can happen is with yoga nidra you one of the signs that you're in that state is you hear people's guts singing away and some people are really embarrassed or they start farting or burping Mm -hmm. so it's really important to you know, yes, it's a high meditative practice, but also like it's happening in a physical way. Normalize body. it. Yeah. You need encouragement to know that those are good signs. More saliva. Yeah. People are swallowing. They can feel parasympathetic nervous system. Notice. You're mm-hmm. empowering people to begin to notice what clever signs the body gives them that, oh, I am settling in. And that's hugely helpful if things have got really dysregulated so that people's digestive systems are actually not functioning anymore or they've been very, very ill for a long time. Yeah. Like little signs like that. It's so but it has to be done super gently and it probably doesn't sound like a lot of the traditional yoga nidras. I would say they are mostly really unsuitable for a lot of people because they tell you what to do and they boss you about. And one of the key elements of trauma is a complete lack of agency, isn't it? You will lie down, you will not sleep, you will not mm-hmm. move. And I'm like, well, I'm now I'm scared. So yeah. I don't think that's a very helpful way to do nidra. I think but it's in, nice. In very... Having an invitation rather than, yeah, than yeah. an authoritative. Yeah. And relaxed. And it's okay if you go yeah. to sleep, it's fine. Do it again another time. And, you know. Yeah, that's it. I love that. It will be what it will be. And I think, so what I wanted to bring up, I know you mentioned Shakti quite a lot in that word. And for the audience who might not know what that is, I'd love for you to touch on that. And I know you do a lot of work in, as you mentioned, menstrual and fertility and kind of women's health. Yeah. We can call it Yoni Shakti, you call it. So that's a, a particular interest. And I wonder if you can touch on and how you can use Nidra in that, as that, being the intention and I wonder is it connected to the intention you mentioned like the sankalpa which if you can just define is it related to that and how you start you know utilizing it for these specific uh, things Mm -hmm. yeah so in the kind of in the definitions part of the answer Mm -hmm. to the question shakti just means power so nidra shakti is the power of sleep and yoni shakti is the power of the source the source energy um, and sankalpa is actually a way of accessing shakti. So sankalpa shakti is the power. In English, we often define sankalpa as intention, but it's way bigger than that. It is not a corporate mission like a statement. It is mm-hmm. not a simple affirmation. It's actually a, a, 
a connection with your your dharma, your your purpose for being in life. So it can cause huge trouble if you think you have to put one of those things in at the start of your energy. You're like, well, I just don't. That's too much. So sometimes you could use just a, an intention just for now. So just for now, I'm just going to rest and let my digestive system do its work or something. You know, so you can have small intentions and they can be part of this bigger sankalpa. But in terms of yoga therapy. I think there's two ways to work with yoga nidra. And one of them is like basically any simple yoga nidra practice regularly will bring benefits. I mean, it's that simple. Like a rested human is more likely to be able to access healing of any kind. It doesn't matter what it is. You don't need to state the intention. I've got lots of examples of people just doing bog standard nidras that they liked and found and it really helped them with whatever their health issue was. So that's one way you just introduce things that people like and then they do them. But then another way is to be a little more focused so that each element that I told you, those 10 elements, each one of those, not just one part of it, but each one of it is related to the nature of the healing that's sought. For example, you could be working with someone who's seeking to conceive. Yeah. And so the whole from the settling down into a little nest to the the preparation to the way you move around the body like i don't know a meadow full of beautiful flowers or something or abundant corn or something you could see that in skillful hands and you have to be skillful and in relationship rapport with the client then you can create and i create and i teach people how to create nidras that do have specific intentions but they don't just say this is an intention to conceive my child and you put that in and then everything else stays the same no you create together something that nourishes them at every level and it's not just about visualization because lots of people can't see it's often about all the different senses so i usually work with people what would you prefer you want oceans washing around your body or rivers or you want fields of corn and so we create things that are quite specific maybe to sort of support someone through chemotherapy Maybe if they've got, you know, Crohn's disease or digestive disturbances, we do a whole stuff where we travel around the digestive tract. Wow. So you can really go into a lot. If someone's got an ear uh, balance disorder, you can go into the ear, you can heal knees. So you can do that stuff, but not everybody wants that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mm-hmm. depends on the person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's, you know, at the end of the day, he is a goddess. And so there's a lot of that divine feminine energy, which is what I'm getting a lot of. And I think the surrendering comes with a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. And being in flow and just letting be. Mm -hmm. So there's a theme here of just being able to tap into that feminine energetic. And so I wonder if you could just talk on the difference between, you know, the world we live in. There's such a stark contrast in the, you know, hyper-masculine world and why more than ever yoga nidra and or this kind of really tapping into our feminine energetic and rebalancing recalibrating is so so important oh that's such a lovely question it's very timely Mm. i mean i've been doing working with this practice for like 25 years and it used to be like you'd have to look very hard to try and find a place that would do the practice or train you and now they're all over the place it's really good Mm-hmm. Because what I see is a massive imbalance. Right? What's happened is through the process of like imperial, colonial, and you know industrialization, that is basically systems of very hierarchical oppression that are masculine in the sense that they're about rigidity and control and power over. 
we will take power over. And so you need systems of misogyny and racism and all of these things to take control, right? And then to own land. So basically we've got a, a culture that's almost global that drives people to believe that you have to be part of this because it owns you and it owns your time. And you're only as valuable as the amount of work you can do because everything is valued in those terms. And so it's all about productivity, usually for the lords of profit who are going to do who knows what with all the money, you know, it's like, and it's a system that depends on us being totally disconnected from the earth and from our true nature, because our true nature is cyclical and in connection with the earth and loving. And so that won't run the machinery of late stage capitalism. It won't run it. People, and so what happens, I see it all the time, is what's needed, we are an exhausted species. This system, which is just an idea, like it's a very recent blip, like we didn't always live like this, you know? And I'm not talking about some imagined golden age. The archaeological evidence is that people lived for, for thousands of years all over the world in all sorts of different ways that were not this. Mm-hmm. This is new. This is white supremacist capitalism is a new thing that we really don't need anymore and it's not fit for purpose and it harms everybody and it makes everyone tired. And the big important thing about Nidra Shakti is that what it is in essence is a reconnection to the really huge powers of the earth. When we lie down, we lie little tiny humans on this enormous body of the earth and she holds all of this. Like, there is no easier way to experience this complete surrender to the deep feminine than you just, will you just stop and lie down for a moment, people? Yeah. And imagine if the whole world, this is my vision from a little child, I had this vision of everybody lying down, listening to Yoga Nidra in their mother tongue for free, all at once. And then what would happen, maybe, is the people would, they'd let that dream us. And the deep feminine energy, this is her planet, just people would remember that we're not separate. We're not part of of that machinery that wants us to be separate. We're all connected. And when you get into that dream state, and I've seen it, I've facilitated hundreds and hundreds of circles of people sleeping all together in their circles, nidering all together, and they all start to share and connect, and they're all lying on the land. And that is just one of the most powerful ways that this, we talk about the resurgence of the deep feminine, but no, we have to lie down. <laughs> And the only way we're going to like, we can't think our way out of this mess, like, because it's that thinking process that brought it about. Yeah. Whose idea was it? You know, nobody's heart wants this situation. Mm-hmm. So harmful and oppressive for everybody. Mm-hmm. And actually, I feel just in time. And that's a characteristic of the Devi Mahatmya. She shows up just in time, like there's total chaos. It feels like there's no hope. And at the last minute, she comes in with all her different, you know, manifestations. And one of them is sleep. So really, I think the message with Nidra is like, if only humans could just lie down and listen in, they would really reconnect. I see it. I see it happening all the time. And that way people can dream solutions. And I think that's one manifestation of the deep feminine. It's not like going to fight the, the system we have. It's actually like we just go underneath and lie down. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like I'm an agent of revolution because over the 25 years that I've been doing this work, I've lost count of the number of people who've just woken up the next morning and gone, well, I'm not going back to that job. Why would I want to do that job? 
How will we even know we're free yeah. if everybody's so exhausted that we can't even exactly. sing? It's almost a form of numbing, isn't it? It's kind of just going, going, going. And you don't, we don't even have time or space to sit, reflect, what is it that I actually want? What is my heart calling? It's really, you know, there, there isn't yeah. that space, that spaciousness that we all need. And this yeah. is what, this practice is what allows us to create that space. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's almost, the mm -hmm. element of the deep yeah. feminine. This is Bhairavi of above yes. She's like, yes. uh, not Bhairavi, of Bhuvaneshri. It's like spaciousness. Just to be here is enough. And to be forgetting stuff and to be experiencing all these incredible things that happen in Nidra. But fundamentally, that's, I see the resurgence of the deep feminine as the capacity for people just to say, exactly. stop, this doesn't feel good anymore. It's harmful. I think we all need to, to take a little pause. Imagine if all the world mm -hmm. leaders, before they voted on anything, all the judges before they decided, actually had to go and do a 20-minute yoga nidra. Oh, my goodness, Uma, that world would be the dream, literally. <laughs> Quite literally. People would show up to make important governmental decisions rested. None of those people sleep. Rested, and the parasympathetic nervous system has to be, you know, there. Right now we're just yeah. acting, you know, and reacting rather than responding because yeah, yeah. we're so, so like, exactly. tapped into that sympathetic nervous system, that yeah, fight yeah. or flight. Yeah. Burnout is a, a, like a natural process. It, it, it's actually just a sign that these systems are inhuman yeah, and you can't function as a human inside them. And so mm. to be a rested human, we actually, we, are, we need to dismantle these systems now. And part yeah. of that is like, four day weeks and and siestas for everybody in the afternoon nice. four day weeks yes i'm hoping there's loads of research showing how important all this is and then calibrate the sleep things for everybody you know all of that stuff yeah. oh my goodness uma <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your wisdom it's been such a pleasure to chat to you you are an agent of change revolution you know you are and so it's really oh, such a pleasure to be in your presence so oh. thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me i hope that this has been interesting for all your lovely listeners and that they'll find their way to listening to yoga nidra yes so of course where can we find you <laughs> well we have free yoga nidra i think it's one of the biggest libraries of yoga nidra in 23 different languages wow yes. oh my goodness uh, and we're so working something there hopefully for everyone that's, that's <laughs> at the yoga nidra network dot org and that's where you'll find us and there's lots of free stuff that you can listen to there's loads of amazing courses and all those nidras i was mentioning like the covid recoveries and the nidra for insomnia they're all up there in the online learning and if you get really excited you could come and meet us and we can train you up in facilitation skills you might see me soon uma i wouldn't pass me. <laughs> i will see you soon <laughs> No, you're Thank all welcome you. but the, the idea is there's a lot of free stuff there so that makes mm. it really accessible and it's lovely to listen to it in your own language and also in your own dialect or patwa like to hear it in the language of your region is also quite special so very special touches yeah, the we're heart. committed to linguistic diversity in the yoga nidra world we're holding that fair beautiful thank you thank you so much for tuning in to align with ari now if you like this episode subscribe rate review if you feel called and please share with a soul sister you think would love to hear it and if you're looking for more support head to arianarodriguez.com where you'll find some free resources a quiz my embodiment toolkit and coaching services for a more personalized approach you can also find me at Align with Ari on YouTube or align.with.ari on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and catch you soon.